Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Chillport Podcast, episode 279. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today to talk to you about video games. I had a bit of a miscalculation this week. Not only did I miss the stream, but also realized that I probably had time to shove in a podcast, a normal podcast, before, before I left. So if you don't know, I'm heading out of town this weekend. So by the time you're hearing this, I am back. Um, but I just wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do a podcast episode before then. So instead of doing some kind of ranking list or something this week, um, I just have enough notes here that I thought it'd be worth go ahead and just recording the usual episode and, uh, maybe it'll be a little bit shorter than usual, but, but I'm okay with that if that's the case. So anyways, welcome to episode 279. I'm Benjamin Yoder. Today, I'm going to talk to you about arcade games. I went to the arcade, um, also went to like a, uh, education center. I always like talking about the, uh, little educational games that they have at those centers because they're always kind of interesting in some ways to kind of find like how they balance, you know, educating a person versus, uh, you know, making something a, a video game. Um, and then also we're going to talk a little bit about a uh, curling title we haven't talked about in a long time. Triace, we finally got some kind of an update on them. And then a couple of other smaller things I want to chat about as well that I think are, uh, especially the last one here regarding the Gundam Metaverse, I think was uh, pretty interesting. So that is this week's show. Anyways, arcade games. I played them. So uh, my my family's in town, so we're going around and doing stuff. And one of the things that my uh, uh, nephew wanted to do is go to uh, round one. If you don't know, round one is a arcade here. Um, well, it's really across the U.S., but it usually has you know, more Japanese-oriented games, but it's, like, officially endorsed arcade games from from Japanese publishers. It's not like, you know, there are other arcade places where they they import systems that they're not necessarily supposed to be there. In the case of Round 1, they are, as far as I'm aware, all supposed to be there. Um, I only ended up playing about three games there, though. Honestly, I, to be, I don't know, like, a big reason why I don't go to Round 1 very often is it has a heavy focus on um, music games, rhythm games rather, and uh, also a heavy focus on fighting games. And then the rest of it's kind of the typical Dave and Buster's kind of experience, I feel like. So as somebody who's not like huge into fighting games and for rhythm games, I, I would rather be at home playing a rhythm game. I, I, there's just not a lot of draw to me. So even though I talk a big game about going around one every once in a while, I probably go like once every six to nine months, honestly. So this is that once every six to nine month check-in. I only ended up playing three games all there because uh, my nephew was kind of the, the focus of the the, the, the little uh, escapade we went on. Um, but I played three games myself. One was Asphalt 9 Legends DX Arcade, which is kind of quite the name. And you're like, Ben, I've never heard you talk about Asphalt before. Well, the <laughs> the only reason I played this honestly, because there are a bunch of racing games there. So there are racing games there, especially in the, in the uh, Las Vegas. There's like initial D there and everything. Um, but the reason I wanted to play this is because I actually, in my DS, have Asphalt Urban GT for the Nintendo DS. I think it's a launch racing game uh that i want to check out here in the next couple weeks because i kind of need something to like just have as like a i'm just sitting there doing nothing and i need to like kill some time but i also need to not pay attention to this video game and a very generic racing game launch racing game for the ds seemed like a perfect candidate for that so i kind of want to experience I don't know if it's the latest Asphalt game. I believe these are still mobile titles, and I'm not sure if Asphalt 9 Legends DX 
is a mobile game out there that you can you can get and, and play already. Um, but the arcade experience was pretty straightforward for the most part. It was very kind of like on-rails racing, which I mean, a lot of those arcade racers are. Um, but was, was, what was most interesting about it was on the steering wheel, you have like these two buttons. And these two buttons basically let you do like a little butt turn, kind of. You do like a little spin. And if your little spin butt of your car uh, smacks other cars, um, it'll, it'll knock them out. I assume either they respawn or they're completely knocked out. I assume respawn, honestly, just because I don't think they want to risk you running out of other cards to to beat up while you're racing around. Um, but yeah, just like a pretty straightforward arcade racing game. We have this spinny butt and you can spin your butt left. You can spin your butt right. And then you can bust up a bunch of other cars and you know, you can hit maybe like three or four cars at once if you're really good about it. Um, but it's just like an interesting little mechanic on top of what was otherwise a pretty generic arcade racing game. The impression I always got from Asphalt Series is that it was a very generic racing game. Um, the reason being is uh, I believe those games were from Gameloft initially, if I recall correctly. And Gameloft kind of had the specialty of making solid versions of games you played elsewhere. Like, you know, there's like they have like a final or had like a Final Fantasy clone for mobile. And, you know, this was before Square Enix really dug into that mobile market. So, you know, they they had very generic but like reasonable games. And uh, Asphalt always seemed like one of those where like, this probably seems like an okay racing game. So um, anyways, it was kind of cool to check that out because I've never played the Asphalt series before. Although I may have played one on a Nokia phone. I'm not 100% sure, actually. I had a demo for some kind of racing game on a Nokia phone, and part of me thinks it was an Asphalt game, but in doing the research, I couldn't find what it was. And you're like, Ben, it's Rally 3D. It's not Rally 3D. I, I looked at Rally 3D, and it was a very different game from that. So... I'm not quite sure what it was. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like some very generically named thing like Street Racer 3D for Nokia phones or something like that. The other thing I played was uh, Tetote. I think that's how I pronounce it. Tetote Connect. Um, and this is a game that we talked about a while ago, and I was kind of interested in checking this one out. It's a rhythm game. And the big reason I want to check it out is because it really focuses on kind of that hand-to-hand contact you have with, uh, I guess, I, I don't know how accurate it is, but you know, with another dancer. So the the idea is that you're you're dancing with a dance partner, and then on the screen itself, it's a pretty traditional touch game in terms of rhythm. You know, you have these dots that you you know click. There's like rings that come in that tell you when those dots are being timed. There's swipes, there's holds, things like that. Nothing really fancy there. The big thing is is that it just really is focused on I think kind of dance choreography in some way. And so when you are touching things on screen, they really go out of their way to highlight you should be using your left hand, you should be using your right hand, which I think other rhythm games have done as well. But this one seemed to be trying to make you to do, you know, certain motions. And as somebody who, you know, doesn't go and dance when I play rhythm games, right? Um, maybe that's not something that, I, you know, I personally could get into. I'd be curious to see like what a high level player, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of videos on YouTube, uh, plays like and if they do the whole like there's like things where they're like hey you should spin and swipe and stuff like that like spin your whole body around and as far as I'm aware there's no reason to spin your whole body other than just if you want to so um but it was it was neat because it definitely does kind of give this interesting experience as you're kind of like touching hands with this other you know AI companion across from you kind of thing it's kind of fun or at least it's a it's a cool illusion at the very least but um, the big thing was, or one thing that I think thought was pretty funny, though, was that um, they ask you to choose your height. And this game was not localized at, at all, as far as I can tell. They just brought over the Japanese arcade machines and just plopped it right there. And they're like, hey, the people who care about this are going to figure out what they need to do through these menus. And um, one thing they ask you to do is set your height. 
And I think it's like 200 centimeters, like the tallest height. And that like comes up to like my neck or something. So it was, <laughs> I, I couldn't quite line it up with myself. And it was really cool. I was glad I finally got to play it after all these years of, well, I think it's been years since I showed that thing off initially, but glad I finally got to play it either way. I know the Atokadol community had kind of gotten into it for a little while. Don't know if they're still involved in that. I know there's one person that is like really into it from what I last saw, but uh, yeah, it was fun to play and I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to check it out. And the last game I, I'm pretty sure we talked about before, probably from the last time I talked about my round one trip was uh, Dynamite Deca EX. This is that like diehard arcade uh I think the third game in that series, although I think it's technically like a remake of the second game or something. Um, I, that that thing's just as if you ever play that Die Hard Saturn game on Dynamite Deca, whatever. I don't know what the like original game is called, but I know it's called Die Hard Arcade in some region at the very least. I think in the U.S., um, it's just as goofy as ever, where you turn into like a zombie chick through like well. You choose between three different characters, and then, like, I, I chose the middle girl, and then, like, you get different stances based off, like, the briefcase you pick up. So, one time, you're, like, a zombie chick or whatever. I don't know what it's called. It's the thing. is like, they're in the Super Mario Land game where they have, like, the little hopping animation. So, they just, like, hop and jump at you with their arms out, and they have, like, the little talisman down their face and the little hat on. Um, and then also you had like a, a assassin kind of set where you would have two pistols and you're wearing like a white Chinese dress, I feel like, or something like that. And you like do this little gun dance when you shoot, things like that. So it was definitely a, a, a fun little game um, that's just like fun to click around and, 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 and punch through. So if, you, if you're if you interested in Dynamite De or the Dynamite Deca or, or Die Hard game, the original one and never saw the second or third game definitely look it up because it was definitely pretty fun i was actually happy they uh refreshed their fighting game uh arcade cabinet setup it seemed like so all the monitors that used to be problematic are now good i think they may have removed some games i will say though so i don't think they uh went out of their way to fix every single one um but you know there's still like a good I'd say 12 rows of those kind of like candy cap arcade games there. So or not really candy cap. I don't know what the modern term would be for it on some of those more modern machines, but I think it's the same kind of idea where you have like one cabinet that fits a variety of different boards that you can put on there. Similar to like the white candy cab system. So anyways, that was my round one adventure. Again, it was mostly my nephew going around and playing stuff. So I didn't play too much stuff myself. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was those education games that I played. So there's a place here in Las Vegas called Spring Preserve. And it's like a, uh, you know, just like a Las Vegas museum here with like a bunch of wildlife there. Um, they had like a butterfly exhibit going on. And then also there's like uh, different like animal, like, uh, I guess, taxidermy animals and stuff like that. It's a, it's a fun little museum. If you're looking for some like family fun in the, the Las Vegas area, I definitely recommend Spring Preserve if it's open. Um, but one thing that they had there was a uh, space kind of section where they were, you know, talking about spaceships and stuff. It was, like, promoted by Boeing or something like that. And also, there's, like, a section of the museum that was, like, sponsored by Bank of America. So you're just, like, looking at this one lady's face, and you're like, oh, yeah, lady. And you just look down at the bottom, it's like, oh, bank sponsored by Bank of America. Um, anyways, but, so they had this, like, space uh, area, and they had three, I think, games there. I, I at least played three of them. Um, one was called Full Throttle, and this is like a plane game where basically you can go and like build a, a plane and then fly through some rings. I did not like Full Throttle very much, but the, the kind of goal of the game was to teach you about different aerodynamics of different plane shapes. So what does different wing types do? What, what 
gives you better maneuverability, what gives you better speed, um, what different nose types do, and things like that. And they had like a little nose display over there where like you could see the wind and how it like goes over these different types of you know form factors for plane parts and things like that. So um, it was trying to teach you about that as you kind of modify your ship. But the game itself was pretty much just fly through the rings and it was very straightforward. So what I did, I just equipped my entire ship with all speed accessories and um i got number one on the leaderboard uh it did not seem like that hard to get you know high on the leaderboard i think most people were like within a second of each other i think the only reason why i got higher maybe was um i kept spamming the boost button so like a section at the end where you can use the boost and even though i ran out of boost it still seemed to let me use my boost at the end of the, that section so i think that might have been a factor and then also i really cut close on these uh ring turns where they like ask you to go through these rings so maybe i was able to like get in the next ring faster i don't know for sure i think it's probably the, the extra boost i got at the end though because i was just in there sm smashing the boost button basically and after i ran out of boost it still let me boost it seemed like from the fraction of a second that it let me do it so i think i just got a little extra speed at the end there because the game doesn't seem to tell you that you can keep on boosting i don't think it's intentional that you can but you know <laughs> whatever right um so that was a that was okay that was definitely the most like interactive video game that they had there the other one was a game called space junkers i didn't like space junkers that much but basically what space junkers was was to teach you about like space debris and so you would, uh, you know, like, you know, basically space junk. So if, if a satellite, you know, gets destroyed in, in space, it just orbits around the planet nonstop. And then the more and more of this trash that ends up getting, you know, thrown into space from satellites blowing up and stuff like that, um, the more it creates like this layer of junk. And we don't really have a good way to get that junk out of space. And it can be very dangerous to other um, um, you know, satellites and things like that as well. So the whole point of this was to basically, uh, you know, go through and, and, uh, have you clean up the space junk. So you had like these different sectors. So you'd select the sector and you'd select the, the spot in the sector and it would give you a, a image of a, a piece of junk. And if it was small, medium, or large, you basically have to choose between using a laser, using a net, or using a, a claw, basically. And so, basically, the laser was to blow or to get rid of small junk, so you could just basically melt it down. Uh, the the uh, net was to grab up the medium junk, and the uh, claw was for the large junk. So, basically, all it was was you just clicked between all these points, and then it basically chose small, medium, or large. And you did that, and I got through all six sectors uh, within the time frame. I think it was like a two or three minute time frame, so I was able to finish it um and and do that but again it was just kind of like you know basically uh match the the thing so you know just basically press it small medium or large okay press the one next one do that over and over and over and over over again for about four rows and then four rows within each sector kind of thing so the point of that one obviously is to just teach you about space junk i don't know if it really taught you anything through the actual um game itself i think the same thing can be true for for uh full throttle as well but I think the point really is just to like tell you about something and then hopefully give you an experience that will connect that with you, right? So that you remember it kind of thing. And the last one was a very, I don't know if you'd call it a game. It was kind of an interactive experience, I guess, maybe. Um, it was called uh, Spread Your Wings. And essentially, this was about birds and how they fly. So this is actually at the beginning of the exhibit to kind of just teach you about how, you know, in nature, flying mechanics work and things like that. Um, and this is actually interesting. It actually uses a connect setup, a two connect setup. So they had two, um, 
Xbox connects sitting under the sides of the uh, screen. So almost in the way that you have like two infrared lights on a Wii sensor bar it has those two connects. And then they had five dots on the floor and then each dot would represent a bird that could be in play essentially. So somebody was standing on that, that dot, they would be a bird. Um, and essentially they just walk you through this kind of like on rail segment where you fly and it basically says, Hey, turn your like you know put your arms out and then turn your your arms right or or lean right or lean left to like you know turn with the the flight path of the bird they'll lean forward to do a dive and then flap your wings to um, ascend kind of thing. And so if you weren't doing the proper thing your bird would highlight red to be like hey you're not doing the proper thing properly. Um I kind of had two issues with this. I don't really mind. There was no like scoring system. I don't mind that so much. So like you, you really could just sit there and do nothing and it didn't matter, which, you know, a lot of stuff's for kids. So whatever. Right. The thing that bothered me is that it was really hard to figure out what they were going to have you do next. And frequently when they would switch it, they would switch it so fast that it feels like you had to like memorize it. So if you were an avid spread your wing player, you could sit down and memorize the flight path and get, you know, perfect run for spread your wings. Uh, but it, otherwise, it feels like you have to kind of like, you know, really adapt on the fly really quick to be like, oh, I'm diving. Oh, I need to go left. I need to go right. But like you never quite could adapt quite fast enough. And the connect, the the tracking of the connect never quite worked in the way that I wanted to for that. Admittedly, I was in a spot that kind of had some weird issues with, with tracking. So maybe a different spot would have been better. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it just was a, maybe, I think they maybe need a, like some indicators of what you should be doing, like an arrow, you know, like in a like, crazy taxi and like turn left, turn right or something like that, or, or, or any kind of racing game really, where they give you some driving indicators. I think that would have been a good thing to be like, Hey, we're going to go right. We're going to go left. We're going to dive down things like that. Again, there was no real consequence for you failing to do so. But I think it just kind of distracted from the experience enough that it, it just felt like it would have been better to have something that like led the player into it a little bit more. So anyways, that was my little education uh, experience adventures. I forget the last one that we did. I remember we did something where like we, it was like a NASA mission. And you like were going around on Mars or something like that. Um, I forget where that was at, though. It might have been at Epcot Center. So at some point, I probably went to Epcot Center and probably did a podcast after that. I don't remember what episode that was. If I can find it, I'll link in the podcast. I think they're really fascinating little demos. I'm always curious, like, what they're running on as well. Um, I was really happy to see the Connect there and be like, oh, yeah, the Connect still still, still going strong because Connect still has a use case in certain, certain business spaces, or at least it did for a while. I don't know if it's still the case today, but... Actually, I have a, Win a Microsoft Connect for Windows as well uh, in my house here somewhere, as well as a 360 one, but I have not played any Connect games. Admittedly, my setup, not particularly great for Connect games, unfortunately, so, so yeah. It's Patreon time. Welcome to the Patreon Corner. Thank you again, Henry Dagger, for contributing to the Patreon. Jillian, thank you. Paul, Dan, you Thank you. And then finally, last and most and most, most important, MVP, MVP, most valued patron. Not really. Sorry. Sorry. You all, you all donate the same amount of money. You get just the same amount of attention, I feel like. So um, at least I try to do something weird with your names every week, I feel like. Although, again, I will try to get you guys represented in some way here in the, in the future. But there's just a lot going on right now. Um Discreet. After all that, all that word mumbo jumbo, finally said your name, Discreet. Welcome. It's the Patreon Corner. Hey, did you know you can get bonus content 
by going to the Patreon. Last week on Patreon, we had the No More Heroes 2 Desperate Struggle review commentary. So if you want to go watch me uh, or, or listen to me talk about my No More Heroes review that I did for the Speed Gamers, uh, that is up on the 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 uh, uh, Patreon. I believe next week is another Kaminazo video. So if you're interested in the Kaminazo playthrough, that should be up for you next week. Um, and yeah. That's all for $5. I forget if I said that. Bonus, bonus videos are for $5 if you want them. However, if you donate $5, you can also go, also, also, also ask a Patreon question. Jillian asked our Patreon question this week, but you can ask a Patreon question every Monday at 3 p.m. If you go to the Patreon, there should be a post that goes up and it says, hey, here's going to be the Patreon question for next week. Provide your question in the comments or you can contact me privately if you want to be anonymous. Um, and, and I'll answer it. But again, Jillian provided us our question for this week, and it was, how and when did you start getting into Dojin games? This is actually a difficult question, surprisingly. I was trying to think back, and I really had a hard time figuring out the uh, <laughs> trajectory of how I ended up on Dojin games. So what I did is I went back to... So one of the most easiest places you can access Dojin games that are not just like Steam Dojin games. If you want to get like the real raw Dojin games, I feel like um, uh, DLSite.com is a great option for that. It's been around forever. People have been uploading stuff there forever. I will warn you that it can be fairly erotic at times. So if you are under the age of 18, be aware of that. There is a all ages section, but still just know sometimes it can be a little sexy from time to time. Japanese all ages does not necessarily mean it is appropriate for somebody under the age of 12 or something like that, right? Um, but anyways, so uh, I went on DLSite.com and looked at my purchase history and looked at the first game I bought on DLSite. And this actually made a lot of sense of what I picked up, and that was... Um, the uh, Huttaful Boyfriend. If you don't know, this is something that actually got kind of a bit of attraction on PlayStation. I think there's like a Vita and PS4 version that came out and they was given out, I think, as a PlayStation Plus game for free. And so I think a lot of people got exposed to Huttaful Boyfriend. Um, but it was essentially a bird dating sim where you would date birds and each bird was representative of a guy. And you could actually go, I forget where it was. I don't know if it was in game or if it was like outside the game, but each character actually had like a human version of them. But, you know, in the game, it's just like a photo of a bird, basically, that would show up on screen. And there's a bunch of bird puns in the localization or whatever. And so in 2012, I picked up Hotful Boyfriend on DL site when that came out. Um, so, uh, that was the first Dojin game I believe I purchased. I could be wrong, but I believe that's the case. And that was, that was something that was recommended to me by a friend. I'm going to take a strong guess that that friend probably found out about it through 4chan. I don't know for sure, but that would be my guess. So I looked at the next game after that. It was actually a really long gap of time before I picked up the next game. And then the next game I bought was, uh, uh, Blueport J, Summer Scribe, Summer Scribe, Summer Sky Prelude. And I think the thing that I kind of came away with maybe with Blueport J, and this is probably what got me kind of thinking about um, Dojin games in a more significant way, was the fact that it was this game that was like, if you don't know what Blueport J is, it's a it's a underwater diving game where you go and you basically solve puzzles and you have like an air mechanic and like each girl has different um like ability to hold their breath at different lengths and different skills underwater and things like that um but the 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 thing that was kind of um 
a little off-putting initially and, and kind of pushed me away from starting it initially or picking it up initially was that it was very clearly like given a erotic tone to it. Um, and, and I've explained this on the podcast before, but basically, you know, whoever makes this game, Fox Eye is the developer, um, is into like these underage girls drowning. That is very likely, very clearly presented as like a sexual thing for them. However, it is not a sexual game in any way, really. Like the, the, the drowning aspect of Super Mario 64 is more detailed than Blueport J's. However, the context is there, and so the context changes it. And, like, unless Miyamoto's got some fetish that I don't know about <laughs> regarding Mario, um, you know, it's it makes you feel feel about the game differently, for sure. Um, however, the game itself, when I sat down and played it, was a great game, a very relaxing game, and Fox Eye makes a lot of games with this concept in mind, however, with different genres. And so it was like this really fascinating thing, thing to be kind of confronted with of just like this dude's like sexual preference drives his game design in a way that's like really kind of fascinating. And it's like and, and it's presented in a way most of the time where like if you don't know about it, it's not really something that you would think about. And so you don't really, it's, it's like, it's like the game itself on its own separated from all that is a, just a good video game kind of thing. So yeah, it is one of those things that was like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this, but I think that was kind of the thing that kind of made me realize that these Dojin games can be great video games, even under weird circumstances like that. And I think that's really probably what started to kick me off in checking out Dojin games more significantly. Um, Super Panda Ball was the next big one after that, I feel like, you know, with the uh, masochistic Panda Ball that you hit. <laughs> so it's a great game. I really like it a, a lot. And, you know, that game is largely pretty tame as well. You know, the only weird thing about it is that it is a masochistic Panda Ball. So whenever you hit it, it like makes a bunch of noises. But, you know, that's more just like sexual humor kind of thing doesn't really have any weird connotation with with it so I feel like that was kind of how it went and then from there um you know I just kind of started getting into more and more Japanese focused games I think and I got more and more ambitious with the types of games I was willing to pursue and so less I, I have less of a holdup of like picking up and trying certain games that I would in the past and like spending money on them especially like the DL site games can be quite expensive Dojin games um, so it's not like, you know, you're going in for like a cheap, quick fix. It is a very distinct thing that you're going after. And, and the money that comes, the money aspect of it is not a or e easy hoop for many people to jump over, unfortunately. So and you're definitely getting like less than what you paid for when you think about quality. So it definitely have to be in the right mindset to really enjoy Dojin games more than, you know, most other games, you know, most, there, there are many great games you can get for free, right? And so, you know, there are many better places you can spend your time, but Dojin games are just really fascinating. And I think for the school stuff, you know, I think it really was just going to Comic Cat and just like seeing, you know, a bunch of university students hand their discs out and things like that. And, you know, um, some of them, you know, be kind of excited for you to, to, to take their disc back overseas and stuff like that. And they'll be like, oh, 
you're taking it to America. I'm like, yes, I'm taking your, your disc to America, um, to where I constantly struggle with the question of, should I upload this to archive.org? Because it, I want to back it up, but I don't know. Um, when I go to PRG, I might see if I can find uh, Frank Cifaldi there, if he has like a booth or something, and maybe just talk to him about that a little bit and get his thoughts. And, you know, if I make a decision about that stuff, you know, I, there's not a great answer, but I, I hope I can get, you know, I think Frank is generally level-headed with those kind of questions. So I think having input from someone like him could be a big help in trying to figure out what the best way to approach it is. And if I don't make it public, like what what's the best way to approach, you know, holding on to that stuff and, and when to actually release it. Because eventually, you know, if I die, that doesn't mean anyone else gets access to it, right? Um, unless I have like a check that makes sure I'm alive still or something. So yeah. Anyways, thank you again for the Patreon question. I really appreciate it, Jillian. Again, the Patreon question post goes up on 3 p.m. on Monday. This next upcoming week is going to be kind of weird because A, I'm recording this on a Wednesday already or Thursday. Sorry. Um, and then, uh, when it comes to next week, um, I will be recording that probably on a Wednesday. So, um, you know, if you can get your questions in quick for next week, otherwise, you know, just go on to the next thing. If, if you do get a question in and I've already recorded the podcast, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'll push it on the next week. So don't worry too much about it. Got some news stories I wanted to touch on here real quick. Um, one is a quick update on uh, a game called Let's Play Curling. Um, although I think it was originally called Everyone's Curling in Japan. Uh, but this is Imagineer's curling game, and they have just launched the game in English. I don't know if they announced that this is happening. I don't seem to recall seeing that it was, but um, we talked about this game a while ago. It still looks pretty neat. It's basically a curling game, but you use your Joy-Cons to kind of do the little shuffle. I'm kind of interested in it, although it is a digital-only release, unfortunately. There is a physical release in Japan. However, it's not confirmed that they've patched that version with English language support. So... Not quite sure what's going to happen. That being said, like curling, you probably don't need that much, you know, English unless they have like a cool story mode on there, which at that point, like, yes, I want to know the story. <laughs> Give me your curling story. I want to know what it is. But I think that's very cool. So that is out on the Switch now digitally. I just don't know the situation with the physical copy, but they said in the, the description for the, the, the game's trailer that it would be a digital only release, unfortunately. I think it's like 40 bucks to get the physical from Japan, although shipping and all that fun stuff. We finally have an update from Triace. If you don't know, I've been sitting there. Well, well, all right. Triace has an update, has had an update where they're making Star Ocean. So I guess there's that part of it. So I guess we already have an update from Star, Star or Triace. I, I was think I was like mixing it in my brain when back when we were saying Media Vision and Triace. I don't know what either of them are doing. What the heck are they doing kind of thing? Media Vision, we still don't know, but Triice, you know, we, they are making that new Star Ocean game. However, they were, they were in the news because they reported in their financials that they had an over $6 million loss, unfortunately. They basically blamed this on canceled projects, delays on existing projects, and certain projects not being picked up from publishers as well. So it was a 42% drop in sales from the previous year. Um, and a big thing was is that they shut down their um, Star Ocean mobile game, Star Ocean Amnesis, I don't know how you pronounce that, which was shut down in 2021 in Japan. So they no longer have an active mobile game. They did have a mobile game that they launched in 2016 called Heaven X Inferno, but that shut down the next year after that in 2017. So maybe not too surprising because like if you look at their lineup in recent years, like 2019 was Star Ocean 1 remake yet again. I mean, they've remade that game, I feel like, multiple times now. 
Um, Resident of Faith, the HD edition, came out in 2018. And then Star Ocean, The Last Hope 4K HD remaster was 2017 as well. So the last new video game they made before this most recent Star Ocean that's coming up is Star Ocean Integrity and Faithlessness. I shouldn't say that. The last new console game they've made. Mobile games are games on their own, and Star Ocean, Amnesis, and Heaven X Inferno were their own games. So those were launched uh, in that same year. So 2016 was still the last year that um, they put out a new video game. The rest have been all remakes. So anyways, I don't know, like I was reading on Noisy Pixel and they were kind of like talking through it, but I didn't really see any information that seemed to suggest that they're like in financial trouble. Like I don't know how much cash they have on hand, but uh, yeah, they did definitely go in the red this year, it seemed like, or they came insolvent. So anyways, hopefully that turns around. I don't know how well the last Star Ocean game sold, but they keep pushing that franchise. So apparently it's selling well enough that Square Enix keeps trying, or at least, you know, selling close enough to well enough that Square Enix keeps trying. So hopefully that new Star Ocean game does well. I'm kind of interested in it, but I don't know if I ever will get the chance to play it, unfortunately. So Gamazumi. This is a publisher um, for the Nintendo Switch. I think they might be a Western publisher. I could be wrong. Um, but this is a Ichi game publisher. So, you know, in the same vein as like, you know, Curate with like Beat Reflay and things like that. Although they're like a, a, a developer. In the case of uh, Gumazumi, I think they might just straight up be a publisher. Either way, um, they tried to publish a game recently. I think it was called like Tentacle Shooter or something like that. And uh, I think they were... I believe that game had some nudity in it it had like it was like a you know hentai art kind of thing but like not full hentai it was like topless girls but like anime drawing topless girls kind of thing and they actually had their game blocked apparently this is something that was allowed before that you could have topless girls in your game um but nintendo is no longer doing that um a big reason that seemed to be cited or at least the the the, the suggestion was that basically um, Nintendo was concerned about it hurting their brand due to, um, those, those issues. So this still is like a really weird situation. So if you don't know, recently we followed the Chronicles of Massage Freaks, which is like a massage game that had like very sexual overtones with it that is now on Steam called Beat Reflay. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the second part of the name. It's R-E-F-L-E-E, but like, I feel like it sounds weird to say Beat Reflay. Anyways, but um, that game uh, still is not out on the Switch, even though it was initially announced for the Switch, Switch I believe, or at least announced at the same time. Um, so it's it's interesting to see, because I don't think that game, I think there's a patched version of it on Steam, and then you get like a, a 18 plus download key from their website for Beat Reflay, and then also there's a DL site listing for Beat Reflay as well, um, which I'm going to guess that is just the straight up 18 plus version of that maybe. Um, but anyway, so it's just kind of interesting because at the same time, uh, there's this other story going on with the Chaos Head Noah um, developer saying that they can't release, or at least they're delaying um, that game from coming out on Steam due to content guidelines. Meanwhile, they're still launching on Switch. So they haven't said what the issues were yet, but um, it's really interesting to see this weird like, hey, this game might not be safe enough for the Nintendo Switch um, and then it shows up on Steam, but then now there's this other game that's like, hey, this game might not be safe enough for Steam, but it's going to show up on Switch. So it's, I think it's one of those things that like the, the guideline for sexual content and like really rubbing up on that 18 plus line kind of thing is always just like a really hard one. And like, nobody seems to want to put down like really solid terms of what is, um, required and each, each platform has its own differences kind of thing so it's it's just strange to see um this kind of weird back and forth 
But it doesn't seem like Nintendo might be taking the approach that Sony is where it's like overtly you have to censor like everything kind of thing. Where like Sony, like they couldn't even show like Trish's butt in the, I think her name's Trish, in Double May Cry or like every other platform they could show show her butt without the glow effect. So so yeah, it's 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 interesting to see um this is weird like gridlock that's happening. But I think this is kind of normal for kind of these 18 plus games. It's just the nature, I think, of trying to publish content that's, uh, you know, controversial. I mean, Beat Reflay definitely came with a lot of controversy, partly due to the character names, partly due, I believe there were some recent incidents in Japan with, like, massage sexual harassment. So, like, sh- having a game that was focused on, like, sexual massaging was was a concern. Although it sounds like, from what I read through machine translation, at least, is that the story aspect of Beat Reflay was actually pretty solid. So, um, uh, and when I say through machine translation, I believe I read like a four gamer or inside JP, um, impressions on it or inside games, JP impressions on the game. So yes. And the last story here is regarding VTubers. We actually haven't talked about VTubers in a long time. Actually, this is, uh, I guess it's like not really VTubers. It's a mix. It's a mix of things. We're going to talk about VTubers, but it's also about something else. So let's start with the something else part of this. So Gundam, I don't know if we talked about this. Gundam has a really weird thing going on where they're trying to make a Gundam metaverse and they're like painting it up in this really weird over the top way, which I'm kind of okay with. Um, You know, how much metaverses matter and all that stuff is a whole other thing. And I don't know what's going on in this Gundam metaverse all that much. But one thing that was really interesting about this is that they are, um, they announced that they're going to have interactive AI companions, or at least they announced one character who will be. And basically you can ask in this metaverse, this character uh, about Gundam and they would reply to you ideally, right? Um, it's an AI. So, you know, how much, how, how accurate that is going to be probably, you know, around the range of, I think of like a Siri or something like that, right? It's going to be Siri repeating back to you what a Zaku 2 is, who made it, stuff like that. That's my assumption of what this turned out to be. So it's kind of interesting that it seems to be implying that they're going to have more of these AI companions. And, um, it'll be, I, I just think that like kind of like personalized help with like their talking avatars and things like that can always be like a really interesting thing. Um, <clears throat> admittedly, I will like, I guess, full disclosure, I came from a company that was involved with that kind of thing. So maybe I have more interest there than other people. Um, so it was like an interesting story, but in the Silicon Era article, they mentioned that they Bandai Namco, um, I believe a couple months ago, launched a new YouTube channel, I think called Go Around, but the channel's entirely in Japanese in terms of the name. Um, it seems very Japanese focused, um, where they actually have AI VTubers. And these AI VTubers basically just play Mahjong against each other every other day. So they just show up. They play Mahjong and they'll interact with the chat. And I believe they react to different plays that happen in the Mahjong. Uh, It's not like, you know, I don't think anyone's trying to hide anything of like, oh, this is supposed to be like a real person. It's very AI sounding, not only in terms of the voice tone that's being used, but also like just how the characters animate, how they respond, how, you know, static they kind of are in their emotions at times and things like that. So, um, but it was like a really interesting thing to see this like weird kind of like every other day, just AI characters playing Mahjong against each other for some reason, and just trying to talk to the chat through like these AI responses. So just like a weird little cool thing. And like as somebody who has been kind of losing interest in the VTuber space a bit, because I feel like the novelty of live 2D has kind of 
rubbed off uh, or uh, like I've lost its luster to me. I mean, if you don't know before VTubers, I was super into the idea of live 2D. I think it looks cheap, looks cheap. And I think we've kind of maybe gotten over that barrier. Maybe we're just used to it now, honestly, but at the time, at least it looked very cheap and VTubers definitely kind of, I think spearheaded developments in that technology to some degree. Um, and, and, and so if you look at like Kason or something like that, her, her model animates very smoothly things like that. And I think there's always like some fun different things that can happen with different models, depending on the art style, how certain things are handled, things like that. I still would someday like to play with the VTuber avatar on stream at some point. I don't know if that will ever happen. You know, I assume if we do anything, it'll be just like whatever an out of the package VTuber would be just to kind of mess around with it a little bit. But um, yeah, anyways, I just thought it was like a really interesting way to kind of do uh, these like VTuber uh, kind of experience with AI avatars instead. That being said, you know, I know with AI stuff, there's always some kind of concern about, um, you know, <laughs> ethics to some degree. There's There's been a lot of discussion because uh, image generating AI has been become quite a thing on uh, on the Internet lately. And I think it's more than just the fact that it exists. It seems like maybe there's some concerns about how maybe the technology was taught, what kind of art was fed to it, who owned that art all that stuff, just like if it just was pulling resources offline online of artists who weren't asking to have their art submitted to this thing and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I think there's like some weird stuff with that. And then all there's always like the, when it comes to writing news stories and things like that, there's AI uh, news story generation. Although there's, there's a really good uh, video by, I think it's called The Couch Report that did a uh, AI video test kind of thing. Like, an AI trying to write a video script. So if you ever are curious, like what that looks like, I think that's a great example. I, I had heard about it a bit when I was in journalism school and got like fed a few different examples at some point. Um, I think there are maybe some newsrooms where they will use the AI generation uh, as the base. And then from there, the uh, real Arthur will come in and or editor will come in and like basically, you know, adjust the news story and, and you know, make ch check, check the facts and stuff like that, basically to reduce some of the more mundane writing for like obituaries and things like that. Right. Or I guess obituary, somebody else submits, though, but, you know, for smaller, smaller stories that aren't necessarily like, you know, needing big like uh, as i'll say big human brain the big human brain doesn't necessarily need big human brain to uh to uh, uh do it so anyways i just thought that was like a cool thing anyway for that so that's it for this week though thanks for coming one is the website like i said we'll have kind of like a mid-show uh week next week i didn't look at the news today thursday uh, i think i looked at it this morning actually um but friday i haven't looked at the news yet i'll be in, in out camping actually so um we'll get back next week and we'll kind of have like a half week news follow-up i think and then uh also, maybe talk about some other stuff that isn't just arcade stuff. I don't think I, I might I might have some stuff to say about Asphalt for the DS. Who can say? But uh, yeah, anyways, just as a reminder, Patreon, you can again support me for $5. I believe this week, oh man, I'm not, I'm going to try to say this off the top of my head and hopefully I get this right. I believe there is a unboxing video this week or, or like a pickups video this week for my latest pickups from Vink. So hopefully that's what that video is coming out this week. Um, November is going to be heavily focused on uh, uh, panels, I will say and getting those panel videos out. So don't expect a ton that month. And then December, I'm kind of keeping open at the moment because I have a lot of planning I need to do for next year. So uh, December might be pretty dang light. 
Um, but we'll see. Uh, I'm having a little bit of trouble getting the panels put together, so hopefully I can uh, pull those together. Next uh, week is going to be pretty busy because I'm going to the PRG as well. Um, but the weeks after that, I really have to crank crack down on those panels and get them done. So because I think it's like. I think the second week in November is, I think, when I uh, go to do the first panel, and then the week right after that, I go do the next panel. So I'm sure I'll get there, you know, or at least have something to get put together for it. So, anyways, thank you guys so much again for coming this week. And yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. Again, you can listen to us on any podcast platform. Just search One Control Report on your podcast platform. I heard recently that, like, hey, podcast reviews are still really good. So if you haven't given me a podcast review before, I would appreciate that on your podcast platform. Um, and then also, uh, you can watch this video on YouTube as well if you want to see my face and all the stuff that comes with it. <laughs> um, otherwise, though, I'm going to guess that's I'm going to do that. That's all I'm going to say this week. So I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.